the teams you care about. The Patriots are absolutely a contender. They're not just in the conversation. They're in the VIP section at the party right now. The stories that matter to you. Ryan Davis is the reigning conference player of the year. Ben Shungu is the most important player to the Catamounts, bar none. This is your home for New England sports. Could you just please let the Justin Verlander conversation go? I don't want him with the Red Sox. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome in. Brady Farkas Show, Wednesday night, Thanksgiving Eve on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. My goal for when we get back is we will have a brand new intro again. Right after we produced that intro, Justin Verlander signed with the Astros again, so it's a few days outdated at this point. When we come back, a brand spanking new intro will be on the docket for us. So hope everybody is having a great night before Thanksgiving. If you're going out tonight, stay safe and uh, keep listening to us. Can't get in any trouble or too much trouble by listening to the Brady Farkas Show. So as always, you can get in Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury, text line 802-585-3026. I know you are out there today. Hit up that text line. A lot of people are doing like Thanksgiving food rankings and stuff like that. We're not doing that today. We got our normal show. We got a ton of stuff to get to. You're going to hear from Tom Karen of Nesson in about 15 minutes. Freddie Coleman is going to check in with us a little bit in the 6 o'clock hour. We even had a texter a couple of days ago who was pining away for intern Jack. Well, intern Jack is back home from college, and he's actually hanging out in the studio. So intern Jack is going to come on at some point today and tell us what he's been up to his senior year of college at Quinnipiac, see if he was more productive than my senior year of college at us we go so intern jack is around and we've got a full show so everybody lego five four three two one and here we go the opening thoughts on the Brady farkas show brought to you by sticks and stuff and by swanton lumber vermont's most complete locally owned home center locations in enosburg derby middlesex st albans and at swanton lumber they're online at sticks and stuff The Patriots are playing the Titans this upcoming Sunday. We know that. It's a battle of two certainly AFC playoff probables. Okay, Not definites at this point, but close to definites. Two AFC playoff probables, Patriots and Titans. And ahead of this marquee matchup on the NFL calendar, former NFL linebacker and ESPN radio personality Bart Scott is going at the Pats. And show me. When they play the Titans, show me when they play the Buffalo Bills. Well, we're going to. Show me coming up. when you play the Indianapolis Colts. Don't talk to me about the teams that you play. You know what I mean? Like, every team goes through these stretches, man. So he says everybody goes through these stretches where they beat up on a bunch of crummy teams. So Bart Scott says, basically, the Patriots haven't beaten anybody. Show me when they can beat a team with a good record and a good roster. I told you this the other day. I am not doing the schedule thing anymore. I am not apologizing for the Patriots' schedule anymore. Yes, when the schedule came out this past summer, we told you the Patriots were going to have a softer schedule. We pointed to the schedule as a reason why the team may have a chance to be good this year. We knew the schedule was going to be weaker, and there were opponents on there that should be wins. But guess what? As we talked about yesterday, 
the league is designed to allow you to turn it around quickly. This is the way the NFL is built. Oh, you were bad one year, you play a softer schedule, and you have a chance to be good the next year. I am not apologizing for it. The system is working exactly the way it's supposed to work. And yeah, the Patriots are benefiting to a degree, but that's exactly what's supposed to happen. The Cincinnati Bengals, a lot of team, a lot of NFL media's darlings of the NFL season. Guess what? They're playing a last place schedule right now. I don't see anyone apologizing for who they're playing and asking them to prove anything. The Cardinals are currently playing a third place schedule, and I don't see anybody asking them to apologize for who they've played. The Los Angeles Rams beat the Seahawks without Russell Wilson. Did they have to apologize? How about the Chiefs who beat the Packers without Aaron Rodgers? Do they have to apologize? I am tired of doing the schedule thing. We, we look at the schedule before the season, and we, we go through and we check off W's and L's. And that's fun to do, and it's fun to look at strength of schedule, but that's preseason stuff, not in-season stuff. So Bart Scott or Joe, your next-door neighbor, whoever wants to disparage what the Patriots have done, please stop. And I get it. You all think the Patriots have a bunch of gimmies. Well, the NFL is full of teams who blow their gimmies. The Bills blew their gimme against the Jaguars. The Titans blew gimmies against the Jets and the Texans. These teams that you think are good, that you're asking the Patriots to, quote, prove it against, they blew their gimmies. There are no gimmies in the NFL anymore. So you think the Patriots haven't beaten anybody. You think they haven't done anything. Other teams choke games they shouldn't lose all the time. All the time. The Steelers had a gimme against the Lions and tied. It's the way the NFL works. Teams lose games they should win all the time. In fact, the Patriots should be getting credit, in my opinion, for taking care of business. You shouldn't be mocking the schedule and who they've played. You should be giving them credit for doing what other teams fail to do which is beating who you're supposed to beat. If the Patriots lost to the Jets or the Patriots lost to Houston, what would we be saying about them? What would we be saying? We wouldn't be giving them a free pass for a loss. We should be giving them a credit for a win. I'm tired of doing the schedule thing. You play who's in front of you. And as the season goes on, Everybody's roster changes, and games you thought were hard become easy. Games you thought were easy that become hard. I can't help the Patriots played the Browns without Nick Chubb. I can't help they played the Falcons without Calvin Ridley. In the same way the Chiefs can't help that Aaron Rodgers didn't play, or the Rams can't help that Russell Wilson got hurt, or the Steelers can't help that Russell Wilson got hurt. This is the way the league is. You play who's in front of you and how they are that week, and it changes all the time. If you are a Patriots fan, you do not need to apologize for the schedule. In fact, on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, I loved what Mike Greenberg had to say this morning on ESPN. They do the three things that travel. They run the football, they play defense, and they have exceptional coaching. Those things 
are good in January. They're good in the snow. They're good in the sun. They're good. It doesn't make any difference where you're playing. <laughs> the team I trust the most in the quagmire that is the AFC playoff picture is New England. You know, what Mike Greenberg said is valid, certainly. They do run the ball well. They do play good defense, and they have good coaching. They have a winning, they have a winning formula. I think I probably trust Patrick Mahomes getting hot just based on sheer talent, but I'm not really here to debate which teams you trust more. That's not the point that I played that for. I think it's worth pointing out that this year has done a ton to revalidate Bill Belichick because I was getting messages and I was getting text messages and phone messages from people saying to move on from Bill Belichick, that Bill Belichick needed to go, that he was out of touch with the game, that he couldn't coach in this NFL, that they didn't like his decision-making. This year has revalidated Bill Belichick's greatness to the point where Greeny says, as one of the things he trusts about New England, that they have elite coaching. This year has changed and reshaped the narrative on Belichick. I mean, think about it from just, first and foremost, an executive position. We crushed Bill Belichick for years on drafting and on free agents. And what has this year proven to us? They've drafted a lot better this year. Ramondre Stevenson, Christian Barmore, Mac Jones, all contributing. You look at last year's draft, Kyle Duggar now looks like a hit. Josh Uche, when he's been healthy, has played well. Damian Harris has been a hit. So more recently now, Nikhil Harry aside, more recently now, the Patriots' drafts are looking better and better. Most of the people that Belichick has signed has made substantial contributions. Hunter Henry, Kendrick Bourne, Matthew Judon. Yeah, Jonu Smith, Nelson Aguilar not doing a ton, but by and large, bringing Ted Karras back, by and large, the players that Belichick has drafted and signed recently have all performed well. The narrative that Belichick is a bad GM, he's starting to push back on that. And by the way, also, much to everybody's wrong opinion, he appears to have been right in choosing J.C. Jackson over Stephon Gilmore at this point. So Bill, the GM, is certainly uh, changing the narrative that existed about him. And as a coach, everybody who wanted him fired, well, he's shown that he can still coach up an elite defensive scheme. He has shown that he can still put together an elite game plan. He has shown that he can win without Tom Brady, at least in terms of winning games. He has shown that he can work and win with a young quarterback. He's broken down all the things that we said he couldn't do or didn't do well. He's doing them all. And just for good measure, ding, 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 I think that Bill Belichick has shown he can adjust attitude-wise. This is a different Bill Belichick than we saw for a number of years. I talked yesterday about I think the Patriots are having more fun this season. And I think a lot of that, too, extends to Bill Belichick. He seems to have more of a personality. He seems to be smiling more. He seems to understand the tenor of this team and what it needs, and I appreciate that. And maybe Cam Newton brought some of that out in him. Maybe it's the youthful exuberance that Mac Jones brings out in him. I don't know, but this seems like a different Bill Belichick. So Bill, the GM, is better than we thought. 
Bill the coach is better than we thought, and Bill the person appears to be more capable of adapting than we thought. As for who we trust most in the AFC, I don't know. To be perfectly honest with you, I don't know. But I do know that this year is doing wonders again for the perception of Bill Belichick because it was Brady won the divorce. Bill can't win without him. Bill's record without Brady is X, Y, and Z. Well, right now he's 7-4 and four this year. Bill the GM put Bill the coach in a good position, and Bill the coach is running with it. 7-4, and four, I think they're going to beat the Titans. They're nearly a touchdown favorite now over Tennessee at home. They're going to move to 8-4. and four. When we come in on Monday, the Patriots are going to be 8-4, and four, and they very well may be tied for the best record in the AFC. They very well may be tied for the one seed in the AFC playoff picture. Pretty amazing stuff. Don't apologize for the schedule and understand that Bill has uh, reaffirmed his greatness. Lewis and Fairfax on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. More people like Bart Scott just trying to throw shade at us. We'll see everybody in January. Easy, Lewis. I hope so. But I told you, I don't like overconfidence. I don't like putting the juju out there like that. It comes back to bite you far too often. Patriots are in a great spot. I hope you're right. Joe in Richmond says, Happy Thanksgiving, Brady. So, uh, happy Thanksgiving to you as well, Joe. All right. We'll move off the Patriots. We'll get back into them. Some of the, we had some questions yesterday on Julian Edelman and coming out of retirement and all that. We'll do some of that at about 6.15. But when we come back, names are starting to fall on the Major League Baseball free agent market. Okay? Verlander, gone. Cindergaard, gone. Now Steven Matz is, you know, looks like he's about to be gone. The Red Sox haven't signed anybody yet. Should we be worried about it? Red Sox insider Tom Karen of Nesson is with us next on DEV. This is Freddie Coleman of ESPN, and you're listening to Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV and WDEVradio.com. Thank you very much, Freddie. We're going to hear from Freddie a bit in the 6 o'clock hour, but soon we're about to go out to the phone line and talk to Tom Karen, our Red Sox and Bruins insider over at Nesson. we got a lot of stuff to talk about. We're talking a little bit about the Sox, a little bit about the Bees who are in action tonight, and uh, they're taking on the Buffalo Sabres. Sabres started out hot, but are now under 500, so... Getting, getting into a little bit more hockey here as we head towards the winter. But I do want to pick up on the Hot Stove League, which is now starting to uh, to churn a little bit here in Major League Baseball's offseason. So we got the big Wander Franco contract extension yesterday from the Tampa Bay Rays. We've got Noah Syndergaard signing with the Angels. Justin Verlander back to the Houston Astros. We've got, uh, it looks like, Steven Matz maybe going to the to the St. Louis Cardinals, but that the, the the jury is still out on that. But what we do know, the Red Sox are doing nothing so far. They're doing nothing. They're interested in everybody. They're signing nobody. Tom Karen, Red Sox and Bruins insider at Nesson, is joining us now. TC, interested in everybody, signing nobody. Should we be worried or annoyed here as Sox fans? Yeah, well, it was like this. If you remember, it was like this last year. That was the running joke last year. The, the, the you know, the, 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 the Section Ten guys on on Twitter and uh, and you know, Jerry Carabas, they were all making fun about in on everybody. Yeah, right. That was the whole thing. Everybody's at, and and you know, in the end, listen, who they get? In the end, they got Kike Hernandez and they got Hunter Renfro, and those were both big hits. And then they got 
Garrett Richards, and they brought back Martin Perez, and those two were missing. Uh, so I, you know, I don't know. I, I think they'll get their guys. I just think the difference this year is that work stoppage. They just, they just agreed yesterday to move up the, uh, the, the, the tendering date, uh, a day so that it's a couple of days clear of the December 2nd, uh, end of the collective bargaining agreement. Uh, talked to High and Bloom this week and, you know, he said things are just moving along as normal. Uh, I find that a little hard to believe just because I, you know, I gotta think, you know, some of these pitchers, Stephen Matz is a guy that the Red Sox are looking at. Obviously, he's one of eight teams in on him. And he said he'll probably make his decision today. Well, he's making his decision today because he wants his deal done before there's a work stoppage. And I'm worried about the work stoppage interfering the offseason. I still think they'll get a deal done before next season. I think as long as you don't impact games, then it's not a big deal. And NFL had a work stoppage a few years back. Nobody remembers because it happened in the offseason. So I'm not worried about that. Uh, I, but I do think it impacts the timetable for some of these free agents. I think it impacts some of the mid-market teams because they're waiting to see what the uh, competitive balance threshold is going to be. Uh, so I do think it affects things. Uh, Red Sox are in on everybody, and they will be in on everybody. And But we know that, uh, for better or worse, Heimblum is not going to pay overvalue. He's going to set a value for each of these free agents, and if he can get his guy at his price, he's going to do it. What'd you make of the comments by Eduardo Rodriguez this week? Um, says that he never talked to the Red Sox about years on a potential contract. We had heard, I think, from John Heyman that Sox had a multi-year offer out to Erod. So, what's true and what's not? Yeah, I don't know. You know, sometimes you got to sort of sift through that. I mean, is it that it was the offer made to the agent, and by then the agent was so deep with the Tigers that it didn't matter, and it never really got to Erod. You know this. Sometimes a player will say something, and that doesn't mean that the business team supporting the player didn't, uh, didn't have that. So I, I'm not going to go with somebody's lying. Uh, I just, you know, he didn't know about it, so he says. Uh, my guess is uh, the, the offer probably had options in it and, and, and such. Listen, if you follow the account, A.J. Hinch went in and won him over, said, listen, you're going to come here. You're going to be the leader of our pitching staff. You're going to show these guys how to win championships. Uh, and, and by the time they were done that lunch, uh, they had won him over. You know, everybody wants to feel the love. Everybody wants, you know, everybody, you know when, you, when you're having an argument with your girlfriend and all of a sudden uh, an ex texts you and, and starts telling you how, uh, you know, how much they miss you, well, then, you know, they, that's, that's <laughs> the time and place uh, that, that can win you over. And I think that's kind of what uh, happened with uh, Eduardo Rodriguez. I'm not saying the Red Sox took it for granted. But they made the qualifying offer. I think they started the discussions. Meantime, the Tigers, good for them, swooped in, showed him, you are a priority for us. We want you. We're willing to make this long-term deal. And I don't think there's ever any turning back for you up in that. Well, TC, I had a, a brilliant, what I think is brilliant idea for the Red Sox yesterday. So hear me out on this one. We don't want to trade top prospects, and you don't want to go way over value money-wise. So how about this? how about this concept? How about like we saw last year with Adam Adovino, you are getting a good young player but also taking on a team's bad contract. My idea is to the Reds, we get the starting pitcher Luis Castillo, two years left on his deal. You take on Mike Moustakas' contract, two years, $34 million. He becomes a more expensive Travis Shaw. I get that, but you're not paying top dollar, and you're getting the pitcher, and you probably don't have to give up the top prospect. What do you think? I like that. Yeah, no, that works. Castillo uh, would fit in well here. I think, I think that's – listen, I, I've been saying this all along. <clears throat> I think that's the type of uh, deal that you're going to see the Red Sox pull 
to improve their rotation. I don't think they're going to go out and overpay on the free agent market. Uh, I think they are more likely to get involved in something like that. Maybe one of the three A's pitchers who are all going to be in arbitration making some big money in the A's. I've already said they're going to have to cut back payroll. And, you know, there's guys out there that you could probably go get. Uh, and maybe, you know, listen, I, I like Bobby Dahlbeck. I really do think he's going to have a good career. But he could be the guy who's expendable along with a minor league. Uh, you know, you throw in a double-A arm and, and, and you make a move that way if you had to to get a deal done. But I think the trade market is the place to go. Uh, I think, you know, I've said this all along, and, and I'm and the only one saying it, I think. But I, I, to me, Pavetta could be a closer. And if you you do that now, then you go get a middle-of-the-rotation arm. Uh, then you can start adding a couple pieces of the bullpen, and I think you're good to go because you can always flip Pavetta back into the rotation. Uh, or you keep Pavetta in the rotation and you make Hauk the reliever who can be your spot starter. You've got some depth now. I just need to see – I need to see somebody replacing Eduardo Rodriguez in the middle of that rotation. I don't want everybody to move up a notch, you know. Salen of Aldi is healthy. He's going to be your top two. You've got plenty uh, to, to choose from there to make you four and five. I need number three on this team. And number three is you don't want to overpay. That's why Stephen Matz might not blow you away, but if you're kicking the tires on free agents, he's the type of guy you could bring in here to be a middle-of-the-rotation guy. TC, should we be worried about the Bruins? We're changing the D pairings. People want to break up the top line. Should we be worried here? I'm a little worried because I'm trying to figure out who they are. I, I like what, what Bruce Cassidy said Sunday night after that ugly loss to Calgary. He said, yeah, he goes, we, we, we're still trying to figure out our identity. And I, I was glad to hear him say that because it, it, you better still be figuring it out because if not, your identity right now is uh, you're a team who beats up on bad teams and loses to good teams, gets outclassed by the – the Calgarys and the Torontos of the world. Uh, that's not who you want to be. You want to be in that top third, not uh, not that middle group grinding. Uh, so I, you know, they got some things to figure out. I, I don't mind moving things around. I, you know, Grizzlick and and and, and McAvoy together uh, have always been uh, really good offensively. They create a lot of chances. Uh, I think uh, the the offense generated by the the blue line has been disappointing so far this year. So. Why not mix it up and see what you can do and see if that gets going? Maybe, you know, I want to see them get a little more chemistry together as a pair uh, so that you can throw them out in the power play again and get that power play going. Uh, but, my God, you need help back on the on the defensive end. I mean, that was as ugly as it gets. That shorthanded goal the other day when, when, when Swayman made two great saves, third one off the side of the net, and then they still scored. That's, that's a shorthanded goal. you got an extra man, and nobody's around to help clear out that puck. Uh, and, and that can't happen. So, uh, they've got questions. There's no doubt about it. And uh, they, you know, they're, 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 now they're actually starting to play some games where they don't have to. Uh, they don't have an NFL schedule anymore. Where they play once a week. TC, I'll get you out of here on this. How cool was it last night to see your Nesson colleague Dave O'Brien with Dickie V as Dickie V made his return to the booth? Yeah, I was just talking to OB uh, before we uh, we got on the horn here with you, and uh, a really cool moment. Uh, perfect that it was OB because he's done a lot of games with Dickie V over the years. Uh, and, yeah, you know, having number one and number two uh, playing uh, at Gonzaga and UCLA, it was just a, it was a perfect setting for, uh, for, for Dickie V to come back. Uh, I thought OB handled it well, as he always does, uh, letting, letting it breathe and letting Dickie V uh, get his emotion uh, together and uh, enjoy the moment. But really cool. Uh, Dave O'Brien is so good on those national broadcasts and those big moments like that. Called a great game. Uh, but but really uh, was a was a very cool moment. I'm really glad Obi got to be a part of it.
Tom Karen, Red Sox Bruins insider at Ness and TC. Have a great Thanksgiving. We appreciate you. We're thankful to be able to bring you onto the show every week and uh, look forward to our continued partnership after the holiday. So we'll talk to you in seven days. Uh, don't eat too much or eat more than you should. I don't care. Just have a good holiday. Yeah, Brady, thanks. Same to you and everyone listening. I just want to say, I'm thankful that you actually do a show today that's still about sports and isn't. <laughs> we didn't spend 15 minutes talking about what side do we hate on Thanksgiving. I mean, it's just. This, this Wednesday, uh, the day before Thanksgiving, might be – I'm glad the Bruins are playing tonight because it, it is traditionally about the worst day in sports radio uh, where everybody just decides to, to talk about turkey or, or what they're ma- – just enough. Let's stick to sports. Okay? Well, I'm, if I want, if I, I'll put the food channel on if I need to talk about Thanksgiving. Matthew Judon hates mac and cheese, so I'm sure that conversation will be <laughs> happening all over Boston today. So, TC, yeah, we yeah, will yeah. talk to you next week. Thanks, Brady. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Very, very thankful to bring on Tom Karen of Nesson every single Wednesday. Appreciative of his time. And it was. It was great to see Dick Vitale um, back on yesterday. I don't talk a lot of national college sports. Like, if it's not UVM, I generally don't talk about it unless it's, you know, the NFL draft or the NCAA tournament. But to see Dickie V out there for Gonzaga UCLA, that was awesome. Um Good stuff on the Bruins as well. Certainly changing up things tonight as they get ready to play Buffalo. Bruce Cassidy talking about the uh, Matt Greslick defensive pairing getting changed up. And on the Red Sox, the name we keep coming back to is Bobby Dahlbeck. If this team is going to strike a deal, I think Bobby Dahlbeck is going to be involved. You do not want to give up your top prospects because you're trying to rebuild the farm system. You don't want to trade too much established major league talent from your roster. The only place you really have a surplus to do that is Bobby Dahlbeck, is first base. You've got Tristan Cassis coming. You could move Devers to first. You could re-sign Schwarber. You've got things you could do at first base. Dahlbeck is the one guy that's expendable. Jaron Duran, maybe. You might be able to move Duran, but Dahlbeck certainly has greater value. Phil in Middlesex says, Brady, I love your idea of taking on salary in order to get a young, controllable pitcher like Castillo, Moustakas, etc. So, uh, TC seemed to like that too. Dahlbeck in a deal like that, Dahlbeck in a deal to the A's to get one of their pieces, I could see it happening. He seems like the guy who is expendable. All right, it's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. When we come back, CBS News update first, then we come back, UVM men's basketball wins at the buzzer. We'll tell you how it happened, and... I think intern Jack has his family coming after me. I'm going to tell you what's going on. I'm very, very suspicious of this. Intern Jack, I think, has got his family coming after me anonymously. I'll tell you how I believe that and why I think I'm right. That's next after the CBS News update on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. This is Field Yates of ESPN, and you're listening to The Brady Farkas Show on WDEV Radio and the WDEV app. Thanks very much, Field. Brady Farkas Show back here on Wednesday on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. UVM beats App State today in the Gulf Coast Showcase. They finish out the tournament at 2-1. and one. They're now 5-2 and two on the year. We're going to get to how that happened in about three minutes. But I got, I'm doing a little investigative journalism here. On my own. Here's the deal. Intern Jack. He was with us all summer. He was here for like three months. He went back to college. He's out at Quinnipiac. He's back home for the holidays. He decided on his first day back in town, he wanted to come hang out with us. So we 
So intern Jack is in the building today. I was going to bring him on the last segment of the day to talk about what he's up to. I'm still going to do that. However, I think that intern Jack has a devious plot that he is working right now. The Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line conspicuously now is getting a couple of texts into it asking for intern Jack. And they don't put their name to it and where they're from. All of you people, for the most part, tell me who you are and where you're from. These are anonymous texters. It's almost like intern Jack has planted these texters to text me about him. So unnamed anonymous texters. And I dig deeper. There's two specific people. You know who you are out there on the text line. There's two specific people who have sent exactly three texts each. They're all about intern Jack, every single one of them. One texter says to Jack, on August 23rd, you're amazing for a college kid. On August 24th, he thanks Jack for bringing on Ian Brown, Red Sox reporter at MLB.com, who Jack brought in when he did the show for me when I was, when I was on vacation. And today at 5.50, the same texter says, I thought you said intern Jack was there. Quit hiding that boy. This person has exactly three texts, all of them about intern Jack. I'm starting to think this is intern Jack's family member. Then there's another one that I get from Monday who says, on May 27th, Brady, you were a bit rough on the intern, Jack. June 30th, let's hear what intern Jack has to say. Monday of this week, let's get intern Jack back on. Two separate people, each three texts, all of them about Jack. I'm starting to think these are planted texts. Intern Jack who's now, who turned into part-time Jack, who's now just college Jack, who's hanging out with us for a bit. I will still bring you on at the end of the show to figure out what's been up with you. But I do want to know now, are you planting texters out there or what? Absolutely not. Are you sure? First, am, welcome welcome back. Thank you. First of all, um, I'm, it's, I'm glad to be back. I miss Vermont a lot. Um, but second of all, no, I'm not. I just think the people out there, love intern jack they love the character of the kid who comes in gives the fresh hot perspective and they're tired of this wishy-washy brady farkas saying the pats need to get rid of jc jackson oh thank god the pats kept jc jackson around uh, did you come on to address the accusations of planting or did you come on to gloat about the prediction you got right like five months ago no we're um, well past i'm here to do everything brady we are well past yes I said the the Patriots needed to keep Stephon Gilmore and they were going to let J.C. Jackson walk. Darn you that. said that J.C. Jackson was great. And the people want to hear what I have to say. What did that one texter say? He said, or they said, you know, let's hear what intern Jack has to say because he's right. He's right all the time. I mean, that, I mean, how else do you explain that, Brady? I have never seen I someone. I have never seen someone come on who comes back from college who I welcome onto my show and then drops that level of arrogance in a 60-second span. I don't think that it's arrogance. I think that's the truth. That you're always right. No, that people want to hear what I have to say. You just said they want to hear what I have to say because I am right. I'm, I will I was twist right your, about J.C. Jackson. I will absolutely. twist your words around like a pretzel. You yeah, were wrong that, when you I'll... said the Red Sox should acquire Nelson Cruz. You were wrong about nine other things I'm sure I could think <laughs> of here. And guess what? That's the business. You also said the Pats had to keep Cam Newton, and look what happened. And, by the way, if the Patriots had Cam Newton, they'd still be good. Would they be, have oh, a... That's not true. Come on now. You think the Patriots would be 4-7 and seven with Cam Newton? I think they would, 100%. I think they would be a 500-ball club. 
Well, four and seven would not be five hundred. So which is it? You just said they'd be four and seven. I think they would be a five hundred level ball club if they had Cam Newton as well. Every team in the NFL is five hundred level, and it's a few breaks this what way or that, that way. What does that mean? Come on now. What is every team's a five hundred level team? You think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are a five hundred level? The league is designed for what is happening right now in the AFC. We talked about this yesterday. You weren't here. I'm not getting into it again. It's fine. The league is designed with the way the salary cap works, with the way the draft works, and with the way the schedule is constructed. It is designed to bring everybody to the middle. Yes, there are outliers. Yes, there are uh, the Detroit Lions who are awful. But there are it's way more getting to the middle than it is the extremes. In baseball, now with the tanking, we're at the extremes. Eight great teams, eight awful teams, few teams in the middle. Sounds like you just called the Detroit Lions and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers the same. I just said. Because they are both 500-level football teams. I just said there are a few outliers, but there are not many. The NFL is is designed for this. Cam Newton came off the couch and helped the Panthers roll the NFC's top seed in the the Arizona Cardinals. And he came off the couch and only lost to Washington by six, who just beat your precious Tom Brady. So to tell me that Cam Newton is washed is not true and is not right. Cam Newton lost to a Washington team without. And the Patriots are good, but the. And Mac Jones is good. I acknowledge that Mac Jones is good. I don't know that the Patriots would be 7 and 4 with Cam, and I don't know that they'd have a plus 120 point differential if Cam was here. But I can tell you the Patriots would still be good if Cam was here and Cam was healthy. How that would manifest itself, I don't know. Mac Jones is good. He is better than I thought. I am certainly fine with him being the quarterback. I don't think the Patriots would be better than 7-4 and four if Cam was here, but I can't promise you they would be worse. They certainly would still be good provided that Cam was healthy. Yes. All right. Listen, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy that the textures think about me when I'm not here because... I think I think we had something good going this past summer. So. We we did have something good. We'll talk more about it in the uh, at the end of the show. So. We we did have something good. We'll talk more about it in the uh, at the end of the show. But there for the mystery texters out there, who are you? The intern Jack stands. Who are you? Are you Jack's brother? Are you Jack's cousin? Are you Jack's mom? Who are you? Because there's people out there who only text about intern Jack. I have never seen that level of commitment. To the intern. <sighs> okay. Brady Farkas show. Back at it here on a Wednesday. UVM men's basketball beats Appalachian State today, 65-63. Hometown hero, South Burlington native Ben Shungu won it at the buzzer. I'm so, This kid who's on the broadcast call, he's not the UVM broadcaster, so we can poke a little fun at him. He's probably a college kid. I'm not going to poke too much fun at him, but the final call could be better. The shot, though, was great. We're going to go ahead and see. Here comes Ryan Davis with the screen. Oh, there's a slip. Oh, boy. Ben Shungu for three. He got it at the buzzer. Oh, my. Ben Shungu. Intercombe. He gets it. And this game is over. Oh, my. What a big time. Ben Shungu touches every part of the rim at He called it. He said, Ben, Shun, Goo, Inner Kobe, and Hanai. Not a great call. The kid will get better, though. There's no doubt about that. I don't want to riff on that kid because I don't know who he is especially. But UVM wins. It didn't end up being a three like he called, but it looked like a three. They ended up giving it a two. So 
UVM wins 65-63. Catamounts are 5-2 and two on the year. They go 2-1 and one in this tournament. Let's just run through a couple of things that happened, the good and the bad in this one. The good was that Ben Shungu and Ryan Davis were your top scorers. So we've been calling for your stars to give star efforts, and while they could have scored a little bit more each, they were your leading scorers. Benny had 17, Ryan Davis had 14. I'd love for them to be at 20 and 16, you know, a cumulative 36 every night rather than 31, but still, your your two best players were your two highest scorers in this game. That is a good precedent to set. That is what you want. Ryan Davis, Ben Shungu should be your leading scorers every single night. The other thing that was good in this game is we've talked about lack of scoring depth for this team. UVM got 22 points from the bench today. 22 points from the bench. Nine from Justin Missoula, seven from Nick Fiorillo, and six from Finn Sullivan. 22, I think, is a pretty good start there from the bench. If you got 22 points a night from the bench, however it was distributed, I think Coach Becker would be pretty happy about that. We didn't see any points from Bailey Patella, who played a couple of minutes in this game. We didn't see any points from Aaron Deloney, who didn't even get into the game. We didn't see we didn't see a lot of different scores, but the guys who played, they were able to come off the bench and get some buckets. 22 points off the bench. That is a good number. Also, what is good out of this game is UVM got to the free throw line 18 times. A Catamount team that I don't remember looking at the box score much this year and thinking, okay, they really asserted themselves and got to the line. Today they did. 18 free throws. They made 15. And for a team that continues to struggle from beyond the arc, you got to be able to get to the line and get some cheapies and get some freebies. That's some really good stuff there. You won two games out of three in a preseason tournament. Your two leading scores, or your two should-be leading scores, were your leading scores. You got to the line, and you converted, and you had a good, uh, productive day from your bench. Those things are all good for the Catamounts. Now, what didn't go that well, in my opinion? This team still only scored 65 points. We said yesterday... They should be able to be around 70. As you get into games against your own league, or at least against your level of competition, you should be able to score more than UVM is scoring. I know that defense is important. I know that defense is their calling card. But if you want to be a team that can do something special in March, which that is the goal for this team, you've got to be able to put up points on teams that are at your level or below. And UVM right now hasn't been able to do that. 65 today against Appalachian State. This is an Appalachian State team that's under 500. UVM's got to be able to put up 70 on them. I know they were only five away. you got to be able to get 70. They put up 58 yesterday on Evansville. Under 500. Two and five. You've got to be able to get more. 61 on Yale. 61 on Oakland. They've got to get more points. And... How do you get more points? Well, we praised up the bench for scoring. The starters have got to give more. Right now, the Catamounts are punting offense at multiple starting positions. Cam Gibson today, three points in 22 minutes. 
Robin Duncan, two points in 14 minutes. I know Robin's not a huge score. The starters, though, have to score. There is so much pressure on Davis and Shungu. Bench picked it up today. They need some help from the rotation. Isaiah Powell, who's been that guy, today only had seven. Needs more. You just you need more scoring. You've got to be getting into 70 is not hard. There are 226 Division I teams averaging 70 points or more. That's not a big ask. And UVM even has a Division Three game in there to inflate their scoring mark, and they're still not at 70 a game on average. UVM's in the bottom 100 of the nation in scoring. You've got to be able to get more buckets. And part of the reason why they continue to not get those buckets is because they continue to not shoot well from three. 25% again from beyond the arc today, 6 of 24. Tom Brennan told us earlier in the year that he thought that that was his biggest concern with this team is where is the outside shooting going to come from? And I'm looking at guys 2 of 5, 1 of 5, 1 of 4, 0 of 2, 0 of 1, 0 of 2, 0 of 2, 2 of 3. This team has guys that can shoot. They're not doing it consistently. They've got to be better. They're going to play a really good program on Saturday night in Greensboro, North Carolina, when they take on UNC Greensboro. That's going to be a big test. You're not going to win that game, in my opinion, getting 61, 58, 63. It's not going to happen. You're going to have to be able to score. We'll see if UVM can. I hope we're coming in here on Monday talking about another UVM win and we're talking about a better shooting performance because right now it's not happening. You can win games being defensive. You can. UVM, as I told you, they could probably go 12-6, and 13-5 in their conference playing this way. Their defense is that good, and they could score just enough. But if you want to win in March, you've got to be able to put the ball in the net. You're not holding some three-seed to 54 points. You're not holding some two seed to 61. It's not happening. You have to be able to score. And right now, UVM can't really do that. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, let's get to who's saying what. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? Mac Jones. Good Lord. Mel Kuyper's got to slow down on this. Mac Jones ain't going to work, folks. It's not going to work. He's got to come to terms with it. It's not going to work. They really said that? Every damn thing is politics and race, and I'm losing my mind over it. It's time for Who's Saying What on The Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Who's Saying What is brought to you by Vermont Laser Wash, which is Central Vermont's home of unlimited car washes. You want to give a great gift this holiday season? How about this? $20 a month, unlimited car washes at Vermont Laser Wash. Heck, if you want a free car wash, that's my gift to you, the listeners. Just text the word Vermont to the number 30 and then 400. So 30400. Text the word Vermont, get a free car wash. Mina Kimes, ESPN NFL insider, was talking about the most surprising team in the NFL. So for me personally, it's Philadelphia, which I, I realize Philadelphia is just a borderline wildcard team at this point. But frankly, Laura, I thought they would be a rebuilding team going into this season. So Mina says that the Eagles are the biggest surprise right now 
in the NFL, and they play in the NFC East. They're five and six. They're currently in second place. They're two and a half games behind the Dallas Cowboys. I I thought a lot about the most surprising team in the NFL, and I actually think it's the Cincinnati Bengals. I really want this to be the Patriots. I really wanted to find a way to spin this into being the Patriots, but when you have Bill Belichick and you have the veteran pieces they have and when you spent the kind of money that they spent, we expected the Patriots to be good. Maybe not this good, maybe not Mac Jones being this good quickly, but we expected the Patriots to be competitive. To me, it was never going to be a surprise if the Pats were good. If the Pats were in the playoff conversation, that was not going to be a surprise to me. So as much as I want to put the Patriots in the surprise category, I just can't put them at the top of the list. For me, it is the Cincinnati Bengals. The Bengals right now in the AFC uh, North, they're sitting at 6-4. and four. They're in second place. They're a game behind the Baltimore Ravens. This is a team that we really had no expectations for in Cincinnati. I remember seeing jokes about Zach Taylor, the head coach there. How quick was he going to be fired? How He was on the hot seat before the season even started. Joe Burrow, how would he look after coming back from a torn ACL and missing the back half of last year? Would he be ready to go, and how would he look, etc.? They drafted Jamar Chase, the receiver out of LSU, who couldn't catch anything in the preseason. The jokes were abound about the Bengals, and you know, I don't remember anybody coming to mind off the top of my head who they signed in free agency. I think they they signed Trey Wayans, the old defensive back from Minnesota, and I believe he got hurt. So the Bengals, to my at least immediate knowledge, on the, the, the forefront of my mind, didn't spend big in the free agent market. They drafted a guy that people had questions about, both, hey, why would you draft a wideout in the top five, and is this wideout any good? You have an injured quarterback and a lame duck head coach coming into the season, and here you are, 6-4, and four, in playoff position heading into week 12. Cincinnati Bengals, for me, are the biggest surprise. And to boot, we thought that the Bengals may play in the best division in the NFL. The NFC West is probably the best, but Cleveland, Baltimore, Pittsburgh all went to the playoffs last year. We didn't think the Bengals could contend with that, and here they are, 6-4. and four. You know, intern Jack gave me a hard time about saying that NFL teams are designed to be 500 this is what is designed to happen. You are not supposed to be able to do what the Patriots did for 20 years. You are not supposed to be able to break the system. You're supposed to be able to be bad one year and be good the next because the schedule flips like the Bengals are. I didn't think the Bengals were going to be able to do it. They've done it. That, to me, is the biggest surprise in the NFL. And it's interesting, too, by the way. I always think of these surprises as positive surprises. But if you look at the negative surprises, there are some of those too. You look at Seattle, 12 and four last year, made the playoffs, won a division three and seven this year right now. Now I know Russell Wilson got hurt, but they don't even look good when Russell Wilson plays right now. They're still three and four when Russell Wilson plays every single game. Uh, they're two and four actually when Russell Wilson plays every single game because they beat Jacksonville. So, Seattle, a negative one. The Giants, who I thought finally would be better. The Dolphins are a team who's 4-7, and seven, who started out 1-7. I mean, there are teams that we thought would be good that are just not. The Bears, who made the playoffs last year, who are now 3-7. and seven. So, 
when we think about surprises, I tend to think positively. But if you think negatively, there are some of those out there as well. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. One of the texters who's all about intern Jack has gotten back to us. He says, Brady, I'm not a friend. I'm not even a relative of intern Jack. Just a full-time listener of WDEV from 5 a.m. on. I'm, in fact, not even a huge sports fan. I really enjoy you as a news announcer at noon, and I listen to your show at night, but I enjoyed your show even more when you and Jack would banter back and forth. Keep up the good work. Well, I appreciate you, Anonymous Texter. Thank you for identifying yourself. Jack is off the hook as having planted these texts. Hey, I appreciate that you listen. Number one, I appreciate that you listen to WDEV from 5 a.m. on. That is awesome. That is what makes this place so special and so great. I don't mean to sound corny, but when you've been around for 90 years, you're not around 90 years just because your radio talent is good. You are around 90 years because of listeners like that that listen all day long. So first and foremost, thank you to you. Second off, thank you for enjoying me on the news. That has been the thing that I certainly um, – I wasn't a news guy when I got here. So it was the thing that I always needed to work on or develop the most. So I appreciate that you think that I have done that admirably. So that's very nice. And as far as Jack and I together, we did have a lot of fun all summer. We'll have fun again here in about 20 minutes when I bring him back on to tell us what he's been up to. Intern Jack is going to have a great career in whatever he does. He's got a lot of talent. And I'm happy that we were able to be a blip on his uh, on his uh, career radar this past summer. So Hopefully he doesn't forget the little people when he becomes a big star. So there you go. It is the Brady Farkas Show here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. When we come back, Boston Celtics, they're going to play tonight against the Brooklyn Nets. There was a really damning quote on ESPN.com today about Jason Tatum. I'm going to push back on it a little bit. That's next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. The show brought to you in part by Pro Driver Training. That's Pro Driver Training online at ProDriverCDL.com. That's ProDriverCDL.com. You can work on your Class A license, Class B license. You can get some passenger and advanced skills training, book work, coursework, real-life application of all of that stuff. They've got facilities in Enosburg and in Milton, ProDriverCDL.com. I want to get to the Jason Tatum stuff, which was damning. I'm going to do that in about three minutes. But there was a mini rant that I wanted to play from one of the forefathers of Sports Talk Radio, Mad Dog Chris Russo. He's now a part of Sirius XM and the MLB Network, and he was talking about the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame ballot. And the ballot came out for this upcoming year, uh, came out this week. And Roger Clemens is on it, and Barry Bonds is on it, and A-Rod. You know, all these people, the steroid era people are on it, a bunch of them. So here's what Mad Dog Russo had to say about the uh, about the Hall of Fame. And I don't buy this idea, well, you know what, you can't story, you can't tell the story of baseball without putting Bonds in. Oh, who, I don't need to know the story of baseball. When I go to the Hall of Fame, I don't want to know, I don't need to see Bobby Bonds, Barry Bonds with the asterisk on his plaque. Uh, I know the story of baseball, and most people who go to the Hall of Fame know the story of baseball. So he doesn't need – so people always say you can't tell the story of baseball without this person, and if you can't do it, then they deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. And Russo says, I don't need that. 
a lot of people have been out there saying, well, Russo knows the story of baseball because Russo is old and younger people don't, and Bond should be in the Hall of Fame to you know educate the young people. I will say this. This, to me, the idea of the steroid guys being in the Hall of Fame, this is a throwaway sports talk radio topic. Always has been. This is a typical day before a holiday topic when nobody wants to actually do any work. The other ones in Sports Talk Radio that are throwaway topics that I run from, should Pete Rose be in the Hall of Fame, and do you prefer Jordan or LeBron? I refuse to do those topics unless for some reason it came to our market. If, you know, David Ortiz, should he be in the Hall of Fame? We'll do that. But I refuse to do this other junk about this. My only comments on this will be, and we will. my comments will always stay the same when we talk about steroid guys in the Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame is a museum. The museum is designed to tell the history of the sport. I do believe you cannot tell the history of the sport without talking about Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. There should be artifacts from them. There should be equipment from them. There should be uh, monuments from them. There should be questions raised about them. The Hall of Fame is a museum, and museums do not show everything always positively. Not everything in a museum is a good reflection of history. Major League Baseball deserves to have, or baseball fans deserve to have its entire history chronicled. Bonds and Clemens deserve to have their stuff in the Hall of Fame. However, when you are a cheater, when you are someone that has been found guilty of cheating, you do not, in my opinion, deserve a plaque in the Hall of Fame. You deserve to have your stuff in the Hall of Fame. You deserve to be talked about in the Hall of Fame. I do not think that you should be banished from the Hall of Fame, but you should not have a plaque in the Hall of Fame. The Baseball Hall of Fame and Cooperstown are my favorite places in the world. I love them more than any place in Vermont. I love them more than my hometown. I love Cooperstown. I've been there a zillion times. There are a ton of wings in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Alex Rodriguez, Sammy Sosa, they can be in all of those wings except the one with the plaques. That is how I look at this. And that will be my stance on this forever. If somebody has been found guilty of using steroids, they should be in every wing of the Hall of Fame, except for the one with the plaques. That's it. They don't deserve a plaque. Oh, but Brady, Ty Cobb's in the Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame is not the Hall of Good People. It is the Hall of Great Baseball Players who did it cleanly. So, yes, there are racists in the Hall of Fame. There are drug users in the Hall of Fame. There are womanizers in the Hall of Fame. They still played their sport. That we know they still did it cleanly. And that will be my only comment on that. I wanted to play that solely because of the Chris Russo rant, but I refuse to engage in that topic for the most part with the exception of those comments. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. Okay. Celtics. They're taking on the Brooklyn Nets tonight. And there was a pretty damning quote about Jason Tatum on ESPN.com today. An Eastern Conference assistant coach said this, 
I don't think that Tatum cares about winning now. And if he does, it's on his terms. He doesn't want to score 15 points and win. He wants to score 39 points and win. I read that quote multiple times today, and it's taken me a while to fully digest it. I'll be honest with you. If that's true, if that's truly Jason Tatum's mentality, then there's a portion of that that is a problem. But I think that is a far more common attitude from players than you think it is. I've been doing this now for almost eight years. It's hard to believe. I've been in sports talk radio for almost eight years. And if there's one thing that I have learned, it's that players are far less concerned with winning and solely winning than we as fans want them to be. I've told you that before. Players want to win. But in addition to wanting to win, they want to get paid. And once they've gotten paid, they generally want to be the reason why a team wins. It's not enough just to win. They've got to be an active contributor and oftentimes the most active contributor in winning. And personally, I understand it. Personally, I understand it. We all have an ego. It, You may not want to admit it, everybody has an ego. We all want to show we're the best. We all want to be the reason for success. We want to justify a contract or a draft pick selection or whatever. We all want to prove something. So by and large, I don't have a problem with Tatum wanting to be a focal point. I don't if he scored seven a game, but the Celtics won, I would expect him to not be okay with that. And you as a fan wouldn't be okay with that either. Because Gordon Hayward averaged 18 a game his last year in Boston, and you couldn't wait to run him out of town because you said he was a waste of money. If Jason Tatum scored 15 a game and the Celtics won, you would still find a way to not to to say that's not enough. So I am okay with him wanting to be a focal point. The thing that does bother me, though, is that Tatum has another superstar with him. They're both in the same position. They're both young. They've both been paid. There's room for both of them as far as I can see it. In my opinion, they can build a winner together. It's fair for Jason Tatum to want to get his, but it's also fair to allow Jalen Brown to get his. I don't think there has to be a clear hierarchy who's one and who's two. Teams can have two ace pitchers. Teams can have two great wide receivers. I don't think there needs to always be a clear one and a clear two. They can and should be able to work together on this from where I'm sitting. I get it. Tatum doesn't want to score 15 and win. That wouldn't be enough for him. I'm with that. I'd feel the same way. He wants to have a bigger impact. He doesn't want to defer to Romeo Langford. But Jalen Brown can also get his. 29 one night for Tatum, 18 for Brown, okay. 29 for Brown one night, 18 for Tatum, okay. They can get theirs without having to come at the expense of the other. I do believe there's room for both of them. On that note, I want to go out to the phone line. Freddie Coleman, our guy ESPN Radio, kind enough to join us now. He usually joins us if he's going to join us live at 545, but kind enough to join us an hour after today. So, Freddie, I was just talking about this Jason Tatum thing that was in ESPN today. Pretty interesting quote. And I'll ask you, do you look at that quote as Tatum is selfish? Or do you look at it like I do where, 
a lot more players think of, think this way than fans want to acknowledge. It's probably the second part of that equation when you said that, Brady, because I don't know how much of that should be applied to Jason Tatum, though, because remember, he's still young in his NBA career, and I think Jason Tatum is finding out exactly that you can be a winning basketball player, but you don't have to score 30 to 35 every night. I'm sure if this assistant coach who is anonymous put that on the record, Jason Tatum may be at, the same, at this point in his career thinking, well, if I don't get 30 to 35, our team doesn't have a chance to win. That doesn't mean he doesn't trust the Jalen Brown or Marcus Smart or anybody else. He knows that he's the dude on this basketball team. And I'm a Jalen Brown fan, but when Jason Tatum plays at that level, the Boston Celtics are not close to being unbeatable. They're probably an unbeatable team. So I would believe that's probably his mindset, that if he's scoring 15, that means he's not helping the team win or the team does not stand a great chance of winning. But if he's getting anywhere from 30 to 35 to 39, that increases the selfish chance of winning. So I don't know if it's a selfish thing because we wouldn't attach that, for example, to a Michael Jordan. We wouldn't attach that to a LeBron James. And granted, Jason Tatum is nowhere near those guys. But anytime you're a great player, you always believe that if the ball is in your hands and you're scoring, that makes everything better. So I wonder how much of that led to that assistant coach in the Eastern Conference to say that about Jason Tatum and his game right now. Don't you think, though, that, well, I think it's a generally prevalent attitude among young players also to want to get theirs. Don't you think that Tatum's already made all-star teams, he's already gotten paid. Don't you think now there is some onus on him to figure out a way to make it work with Brown where they both can get theirs and it doesn't have to be a clear one-two? Well, it should be a clear one-two, to be honest with you, because, for example, you look at the Golden State Warriors, when Steph Curry was the number one guy, but then Kevin Durant came along and he took a step back being the number two guy, and they're still able to win championships. Same thing with Dwayne Wade and LeBron James. When LeBron James joined the Miami Heat, Dwayne Wade was the number one guy, took a step back, and they won two championships in four years. So you always need a number one. You need two great players, there's no doubt about that. But there has to be an alpha dog in that situation because even if you have two guys who have that mentality, at a certain point it's going to wreck the team because they both believe they should be number one. I go back to Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant. When Kobe Bryant was on the come up, and he always wanted to be an alpha dog. He wanted to be, always wanted to be a Michael Jordan. And Shaq was not going to see that thrown to him. And we saw having the end of that between Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant. So I've always been a firm believer that you need a dude on your basketball team that everybody looks at and they say, if we don't stop that guy, we're going to have a problem. So I don't know if it's incumbent upon Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to figure that out. It may be incumbent upon both of those guys to realize the ball has to go through Jason Tatum. He's a more skilled player than Jalen Brown. And if you have uh, if you have that constant fight, well, we should be number one. At a certain point, that's going to wreck your basketball team in Boston. Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio, with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on this Wednesday on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. I want to move over to the Patriots. They're taking on the Titans coming up uh, this Sunday. We're going to have the game for you at 10 a.m. with the pregame show on DEV. I was listening to ESPN this morning on the radio, and Bart Scott was uh, – no, this was on Monday. Bart Scott said, the Patriots haven't played anybody. Show me what happens over the next month. I'm done apologizing for the Patriots' schedule. Do you think we should be looking at the Patriots quizzically because of who they played, or you just play who's in front of you and that's it? You play who's in front of you because I've been a big believer about this, Brady. People try to play with narratives all they want because we know what the narrative would sound like if the Patriots had not won five in a row against their competition lately. If they had lost four out of their last five, you know what the narrative would sound like. Oh, why can't you beat those teams? If you're that good of a coach, Bill Belichick, or that good of a player, Mac Jones, or as good of defense in New England, why can't you beat those teams? People play with their agenda any way they want. But the fact of the matter is, it is a National Football League. 
anybody is capable of being, beating anybody. You don't believe me? Ask the Buffalo Bills how they felt after the Jacksonville Jaguars beat them. Ask the Tennessee Titans how they felt after the Houston Texans beat them. Ask the Titans again how they felt when the New York Jets beat them. So I'm tired of hearing that nonsense from people about, well, they schedule this and they schedule that. It is hard to win football games in the National Football League, and no matter what you do, it may not be your day. That team may be better than you. That team may be tougher than you. Look at the Buffalo Bills over the weekend with the Indianapolis Colts put up almost 280 yards rushing against that football team because they had their number that day. Everybody in the NFL, no matter how bad the teams are at times, everybody has talent. Look at the Detroit Lions. They took the Pittsburgh Steelers to a tie game, and they also took the Cleveland Browns to a winnable game for them, and they don't have a win in the National Football League. So that kind of rhetoric, that kind of narrative, you can completely miss me with that when it comes to Bart Scott or somebody else. I'm not going to punish a team winning five games in a row in the National Football League. It's hard to win one in a row in the National Football League. So when the team does it five in a row with their defense, their running game, and a rookie quarterback, I'm not trying to hear that from anybody. I don't care who it is. Freddie, who do you think is the biggest surprise in the NFL right now? Boy, I would say the Miami Dolphins being where they are right now because I thought that team, if they were not going to contend for the AFC East spot with the Buffalo Bills at the top, I thought that team was going to be a playoff game, a playoff team. I like the way the defense had played. I like the way offense they had a good offensive line and a decent running game. And I thought having Tua Tungabailoa playing more than nine games and having a full training camp was going to help that football team. And I just wonder how much of that, how much of that noise in the offseason, Brady, really affected Tua Tungabailoa and has been very able to filter down to the rest of his team because everybody knows in that locker room that the organization does not believe he's going to be the guy quarterback. So if you have that sense in your locker room and you know a guy's trying to overcome that, it really plays an undue amount of stress on other people that had nothing to do with that. You look at the Chargers. They knew that Justin Herbert was their guy the minute he got into the lineup last year. They're going to build a football team around him. When you have a young quarterback and you have people in the locker room looking at you thinking, well, you're not going to be, be the guy here next year. What are we going to do as an organization? I wonder how much of that affected the Miami Dolphins, and we've seen the results of that, unfortunately, for that football team not having the season I thought they were going to have in the NFL. Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio, with us every single Wednesday on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEV Radio. You can always check out our full show podcast, by the way. All of our exclusive interviews are there, too, including our talk this week with Freddie and with Tom Karen of Ness. And also got some extra stuff up there on the uh, on the podcast channel, so appreciate all of you who checked that out as well. Do have a text from uh, Marv in uh, Williston who says, Brady, I thought you were going to talk about Julian Edelman today. Okay, here's my 30 seconds on Edelman. People were talking about him last week, and should he come back out of retirement? Does he regret retiring because the Patriots are good? I would say Edelman misses it. All former players miss it. I would say because the Patriots are good, he probably wishes he were out there. I think it's ultimately a good thing that he's not going to come out of retirement because his knee is deteriorating, and he has talked about that at length. And I also don't think the Patriots need him. I think they have figured out a way to move the ball offensively without him. I think their passing game and concepts have been good. I think they're a run-first team. And I think for a long time this team needed Julian Edelman's toughness and his grit. I think they've developed that on their own. So, Marv, I, I like Julian Edelman. If he were here, I would root for him. But I don't think this team needs him, and I don't think his knee needs that. I also did find it interesting, by the way, that Freddie says he thinks there should be a clear hierarchy with the Celtics and that Tatum should be the guy over Jalen Brown. I, I disagree with that. I think that these guys can coexist together. They're of just about equal age. They're both getting max deals. They are seen as equals as far as I'm considering, as far as I'm concerned. And 
if they're not equals, it's because they see themselves as above the other. And I just don't think that they need to. It's the Brady Farkas Show here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. When we come back, what we're thankful for, and intern Jack, we'll check in with him. The text line that's been clamoring for intern Jack, we'll check in with him. That's next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. A couple of minutes left here on our pre-Thanksgiving show. Intern Jack, back from college. He spent a couple of months with us. I think he was here from the beginning of May until the end of August. So it was almost May, June, almost four months Intern Jack was with us. He's got a bright career ahead of him, and uh, he decided to come back and spend a little bit of his Thanksgiving holiday with us. So, Jack, what's up, man? How are you? I'm doing amazing, Brady. I'm, I'm so happy to be here. Uh, I, as I said earlier, you know, I just I miss Vermont so much. I love the I love the state. I love the people here, uh, and I definitely want to uh, look forward into moving my professional career here as soon as that begins. Well, you're at Quinnipiac right now, finishing up the senior year. A couple of months left. You're doing a lot of work with Bobcat athletic teams. What all are you doing? Yeah. So I beat report for our men's basketball team, and I also just kind of generally cover the landscape of Quinnipiac athletics uh, when it calls for it. So, uh, but but definitely my specialty is is Quinnipiac basketball. Watching basketball in person for the first time in two years is absolutely <laughs> outstanding. It's it's something that we definitely took for granted pre-pandemic, and being able to get back into the People's United Center down in Hamden has been just such an amazing experience and uh, something that I'm going to continue to cherish for the rest of my uh, college career. At least. You're doing a lot of work TV-wise with them, but you also still have your own radio show there. That's right. The Mac and Main Show, Mondays, 8 p.m. You can check us out on Spotify, Mac Ampersand Main, M-A-C, and then Main, M-A-I-N. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're bringing on all the Quinnipiac Athletics guests that we can. We've got a couple of big shows lined up. I don't want to spoil anything yet, but you guys can... <laughs> follow along subscribe on spotify yeah go 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 give us a, a follow on spotify um any uh more clarity on your career path here at this point you're doing tv you're doing radio yeah i mean I, i'm not 100 percent sure i mean i i'm not closing any doors yet you know i have p i have a lot of people in my corner that are uh, help me out you're one of those people brady uh and well you know uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> we spent four months together in this hot studio. You know, we had that. We had the. We it's had less the hot now. Now that the temperature's uh, down, it's less hot. Yeah, I mean, we we've spent some we spent some hard day. I remember Owen Kellington getting drafted. You and I spending. Yeah, that know, was a lot of a fun. A lot of time in here trying to get the most content out out of that. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, like, I, TV is definitely while I'm while I'm young and have the ability to you know. Live with my parents, I think, is probably <laughs> going to be the route I, I try to take to start. But I'm not ruling anything out if, you know, one day the Brady Farkas show becomes the Brady Farkas and Jack Main show. <laughs> I, I don't know. Let's, let's speak it into existence. Well, right now those way. things are above my pay grade for sure. But, uh, hey, Jack, it's awesome you're doing so much. I hope you enjoy it. I remember my last few months of college, uh, you know, I, I tried to soak it all in. I'm sure you'll do the same. So, Enjoy the, the rest of your time at Quinnipiac. Don't take it for granted. And then, you know, enter the professional world with the same vigor you attacked here with, and I'm sure it'll be great. you got a bright career ahead, and we're happy to have been a part of it and come back anytime. Thank you, Brady. I'm happy that you have been a part of my career as well. Happy Thanksgiving to all the WDEV listeners out there. We love you, and we'll continue to keep supporting you. Well, appreciate Jack. That's Jack Main, our former intern, who, again, is crushing it in his own college.
college career and uh, will do so professionally as well. And who knows, maybe it'll be here someday. But once again, those are decisions above my pay grade. I love being able to say that. It's above my pay grade. Everything else I can just pass off, above my pay grade. So uh, we got 60 seconds left. I do want to tell you how thankful I am for all of you out there. If you are a listener that's been with us since day one, I'll never forget it, October 26, 2020. That's the day that we started. If you've been with us since day one, if you just discovered us for the first time today or anywhere in between, we appreciate you going on this journey with us. I've said this before, but it bears repeating. The listeners make this station what it is. You do not get to 90 years old by just your content itself. 90 years goes by because of great advertising partners, great community relationships, and great listeners that make those things worth it. So thank you to all of you. Thank you for letting me come into this WDEV family, and thank you for welcoming me here, and thank you for interacting with me along the way here on the text line. I know that this show was different when we started it from anything that WDEV had done before. I know that it took some time to get used to for some people, but I think everybody's on board with it now. Those of you who who listen live, those of you who listen on demand, I appreciate all of you. I checked the numbers today, 343,000 downloads of the Brady Farkas Show podcast. So that is all because of you. We'll keep working hard for you. Have a great Thanksgiving, everybody. We'll see you on Monday on WDEV.